So, um, so tonight I want to talk a little about um, the instructions I gave at the beginning of the sitting and a little bit of continuation of my talk from last week because two weeks before I wasn't here I had been sitting for eight days and it's one reason why I'm just feeling so positive about sitting because, you know, I, I could say it a lot of different ways, but I had a great time sitting, which doesn't mean, oh, it was all easy, but it's so, as far as I can tell, it's so invaluable to take a dedicated period of time and really study this experience, really meaning the experience that's sitting in all of these seats, and really see what is this? What is it to be alive? What is it to be a human being? What What is enlightenment? Why do they keep talking about that? Why did the Buddha talk about that? What does it mean to wake up? Can I wake up? And of course my, my response is yes, you can wake up. And then, you know, so, um, so last week I came, I talked a bit about retreat, and I want to continue a little bit because that's where some of the instruction came from tonight. And really, the, the context I want to give it is somewhere previous to the retreat, I've done a number of weeks or a few months on the four foundations of mindfulness, right? I mean, people remember that? We talked about it like over and over again. The, you know, the four foundations of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body, Mindfulness of Vedna is the second foundation, which is generally translated maybe best as feeling tone. The feeling tone at every moment of experience, whether it's a thought or a feeling or a sound or what, it's got a tone to it that we can recognize. It's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And that's a very important component of mindfulness to start to pay attention to because we have either positive or negative reactions to pleasant and unpleasant and we tend to fall asleep to the experiences that are less than pleasant or unpleasant that are more quote-unquote neutral so that's the second foundation this is the mindfulness of Vedna and then the third foundation is mindfulness of mind. And the fourth foundation is mindfulness of what's called dharmas or reality. And mindfulness of mind is, I, I, I'm pretty sure I said this, and I've said it a number of times over the years. Um, I always think mindfulness of mind is the hardest one for people to get. Like, people don't know how to be mindful of their mind. And, and there's many good reasons why that's hard. It's not, it's not the, oh, you're all dumb or something. I'm not saying that. But, but we're not used to paying attention to our experience of our mind. We're so used to defining reality through our mind. We're so used to evaluating reality through our mind. We're used to commenting about reality through the mind. We're used to thinking that we're doing good or bad through the mind telling us something. 
or we're defining things through the mind. And, and the mind is there for all of that. It's not you have to get rid of that. But people aren't used to being aware of that and seeing that there's a component or capacity of mind or consciousness to know the mind. And so mindfulness of mind is a very important part of practice. And what I was pointing you at today as we began really had to do with mindfulness of mind as well as the component or the capacity to be aware. Right? So I was asking you to pay attention to whatever you're already paying attention to. Right? Everybody get that, that we're always knowing something? Anybody not get that? Okay, everybody got that. That's, that's done. Right? We're always knowing something. Even if we're knowing that we don't know what's going on, we're knowing that we don't know what's going on, right? We're knowing that. We're aware of that. The awareness is a very important part of our experience to begin to pay attention to. Mostly we just live in awareness, right? It's the, world, it's the water of the fish we are that we swim in. Right? We're all aware, like right now, you're aware of what I'm saying, you're aware of how you feel, you're aware of your body, you're aware of whatever you're thinking about how I'm saying, or whatever emotion is coming up, or liking or not liking, and that's all fine. But also be aware that you're aware of it. Be aware of the awareness that knows what I'm saying, how you're feeling, your body, your thoughts. And we're not used to cultivating that level of uh, mindfulness or heartfulness. So, so I'm going to talk a little about this a little in general about how to pay how we're paying attention or how we began to pay attention tonight a little bit. And please continue to pay attention both to what I'm saying and to your knowing of what I'm saying. Because the knowing is happening. Whether you like it or not, pay attention to the knowing of that. Whether you agree with me or not, doesn't even matter. Pay attention to the knowing of that. Because you're knowing that already. Right? And we want to start to be aware of what's here because what's here is what is liberating and will wake us up. It's not somewhere else. It's not in the statue. It's a nice statue, but, you know, it's a statue. <laughs> I don't mean to offend anybody by turning the Buddha upside down. I love the Buddha, but, <laughs> but, um, but just, you know, but I'm also aware that I'm irreverent at times. <laughs> That's okay. Buddha wasn't always a reverend. If you read the Buddha, he he had many different sides to him. So, so the first question I have, and we'll see how far we get with this talk, is what are we doing here? I mean, really, what are, what are we doing here? <laughs> Besides just laughing and having some fun, and I hope you all have a little bit of fun, some style. 
But Buddhism has a couple um, um, goals, or to organize, in order to begin to see suffering, to recognize suffering, to come into a skillful or awakening relationship with suffering, and to be free from suffering. And so part of what we're doing here is studying suffering and freedom from suffering. And that's, that is basic Buddhism, Buddhism 101. And that uh, that domain of experience leads to wisdom in the Buddhist understanding. That suffering's not a bad thing or a horrible thing or, you know, nobody should ever suffer. There's a wish for people to be free from suffering, but suffering is also understood as the doorway to the end of suffering. That they're connected in this paradoxical way. And that being aware, starting to pay attention, to be mindful of this human experience will will reveal suffering. Anybody notice any suffering during the meditation? Right? Just a few honest people here. Right. And, and suffering doesn't have to be gross. It can just be subtle suffering, like you just, oh, enough already, I wish you'd ring the bell. That's a, a kind of suffering, a little aversion. Or suffering wanting to be more relaxed, or wanting to be more peaceful, can be a kind of suffering. So, Generally, when people are sitting, there's always some suffering. And Buddhism is pointing at a, a skillfulness that brings wisdom. And so, it's said by Utejaniya, whose style of meditation I'm uh, echoing, says it's very important to know why we are being mindful. Why are we paying attention? Why are we watching or seeing what's happening? Because if you're watching or being mindful, um, if, you, if you are being mindful because you are really interested in understanding what is going around, what is going on, wisdom can arise. If you are being mindful because you really are really interested in understanding what is going on, Wisdom can arise. If you were just looking at what, at what is happening with the hope that this will make the unpleasant experience or emotion or feeling go away, it won't work. So the intention is to see, is to understand reality. It's to understand what is this experience, this beautiful and amazing and difficult and mysterious experience we call being a human being. Anybody know? I mean, really? Like, what is it? What is it at its depth? So, the key tool that we're using is a practice that the Buddha gave, which is an organization of awareness called mindfulness. And I like to add body fullness, heart fullness, because I think the fullness of attention, the fullness of presence, 
is very important to the awakening of reality and the discovery of reality and seeing the truth of what's here. And so it's a beautiful um, teaching from the retreat I was on was saying, okay, just notice what you're aware of. Even now. Right? You're noticing me and yourself and the space and the visual and the oral and the affective and the cognitive. That's all happening and being known all the time. And we can start to pay attention to what's known and how we react to what's being known, liking it, not liking, irritated by it, inspired by it, whatever it is. And then also we can start to be aware of what is knowing what we're aware of and what our reaction is to what we're aware of. We can start to pay attention to the awareness itself. Or traditionally in Buddhism they would say to the mind. That it's the mind that's knowing. And so it's pointing to a component of human experience that we all have and is all functioning fine for everybody. But we're starting to get familiar with it in a slightly different way. So what are we aware of and what's our relationship to what we're aware of are the doorways to mindfulness. Mindfulness is all about knowing what's here and then what's our relationship with it. And not to judge the relationship. It's not, oh, you're supposed to have the perfect relationship with your feeling of being, you know, sad or being pissed off or being happy. No, we want to see what relationship do we have in this moment? Because it may be different later or tomorrow or next week. And so we're starting to orient into the living reality of here and now rather than the projected, imagined, assumed reality that, or, assume, or the assumptions that we excuse <coughs> me the assumptions that we project on reality <coughs> wow, maybe this is the wrong talk to get out of the room <laughs> But, but here, here, I'll give you an example. So you just heard my mind, right? I'm going to tell you what my mind is. So I, you know, I coughed a little, something caught in my throat. And, you know, it's, you know, I'm in front of a few people, so I'm a little, you know, I'm not, I'm not horribly embarrassed or anything, but, but I made a little joke. But my, but my mind said, oh, I hope that doesn't happen again. So there was knowing what was happening and then my relationship to it in my mind. And, and I don't, we don't have to be bound to that. We can know that also. We can be aware of that also. We can start to see actually almost everything that happens 
we make up a story about it, we tell ourselves a story, we have an affective experience in relationship to it that we start to believe is reality instead of seeing, oh, that's just arising also. And that can be known also. And we can be mindful of that also. And what happens if we're mindful of all of that? And I would tell you, but I want you to discover it for yourself. See what happens. So the simple instructions are notice what you're aware of. Notice, or even this, I love this instruction. Don't even do anything. Just notice that you're aware. Right? Before you do anything. Right? Because we're so, we're so swimming in that sea of awareness. We don't recognize that that's happening. But of course, whatever, whatever comes, thinking, feeling, sensation, sound, mood, mental state, you know, freedom, emptiness, it's all, we're aware of it. And the awareness is a crucial part of this experience that's sitting in our seat that we want to pay attention to. And so this is part of right view because we want to see how do we participate in our suffering? How do we nurture our suffering? How do we encourage our suffering? How do we believe our suffering? And what happens when we don't encourage it, nurture it, uh, project it, imagine it, believe it? And it doesn't mean there's not difficulty. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not a Pollyanna Dharma teacher who's like, oh, everything's beautiful and da 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 Even though everything is beautiful in a certain way, that's not how we experience it all the time. It can be very difficult even life. No doubt about it. But the freedom that is possible for us comes in the middle of human life, not by getting rid of human life. And so we want to wake up in the middle of human life. And wisdom in the Buddhist tradition is to begin to understand our experience from a new perspective. And really, one of the ways you can, one could understand mindfulness is if what happens as we're mindful and we practice, and that practice starts to deepen or ripen and mature and flower, is we start to have a different perspective on reality. We start to see experience from new perspectives, not ideas or not concepts, but at the level of experience itself. The skillful um, contact, the skillful meeting with our experience or the phenomena of human experience that's possible for us as human beings. And when I talk about experience, I'm talking about simply, and this is a good way to do it, is look at what's happening in each of the sense doors. Right? There's in Buddhism, there's six sense doors. The eye, let's see if I can even get this, the eye, the ear, the body, the tongue, the nose, and the mind. Six senses. And remember, and this is very important to really know, 
when they say mind in Buddhism, they always say mind and heart, because it's the same word, chitta, is translated sometimes as heart, sometimes as mind. It's the same word, mind and heart. And so there's six sense doors that's sitting in each seat here. Everybody. Everybody's got them. To whatever degree, whatever pluses and minuses you have, but we all have them. And and how do we know what's happening at those six sense doors? Pay attention right now. Look for yourself. How do you know what's happening in your body? Or in the ear door? Or in the nose door? Or in the eye door? Or in the heart door? Or in the sensation door? Or, or on the tongue door, in the taste door. We know it through awareness. Pay attention a little bit to that. Uh, I don't have the right word. I want to say primal or fundamental or basic or essential quality of reality we call awareness. That the mind has this uh, say it in a Buddhist way. The mind has this um, uh, observing or knowing capacity to it that knows the human experience in an intimate way, in a very simple way, through the eyes, through the ears, through the tongue, through the nose, through the body, through the heart, through the mind. We're knowing reality. We're, we're a knowing reality machine. <laughs> Except we're not a machine. We're a living, knowing reality. And then we can be aware of all of that. And that awareness can be liberating. Question? Do you differentiate the word consciousness and awareness? Do you differentiate the word consciousness and awareness? Personally, I don't, but I want to keep it simple, and that's why I'm just sticking with awareness for right now. Consciousness describes the totality of what's here in a certain way. Awareness describes the knowing of what's here. Maybe that's the discrimination I would make. Um, so, um, so, like I say, we have, you know, all these different doors of form and color and feeling and thought, and we want to start to pay attention to what in Buddhism is called the mind that knows all of that, that's aware of the thinking, of the figuring out, of the conceptualizing, of the remembering, of the planning, of the feelings, of the sensation, of the wanting, of the not wanting, of the happy and sad, and and even the sounds that are happening now, and then the thinking that's happening in your mind while I'm talking. And, and again, as I said earlier, we want to, or maybe I didn't say this, we want to pay attention to what's being known and our reaction to what's being known. Essential to mindfulness practice. What's being known, what are we mindful of, and being mindful of any reactions, responses, wanting or not wanting, or believing or not believing, whatever it is. 
or, or, you know, thinking it's great or thinking it's horrible, whatever it is, being aware of our reaction to what's being known. And that's, that's a good ballpark to do meditation in. I mean, really, that's, that's as good as, you know, Wrigley Field or someplace, you know, that's, that's what we're paying attention to here. And we're starting to recognize both what's known and then any reaction. Do we get tense about what's being known? Or do we relax with what's being known? Or are we open to what's being known? And certain qualities, we want to be aware of all of it. And then we want to be encouraging a little of the openness or the relaxing to what's here as part of the skillfulness of the meditative process that can let anything come and anything be here and anything be known and then see the liberating potential of mindfulness that is open to the totality of human experience. So we're not changing awareness, we're simply recognizing it and opening up to it and seeing if there's any attitude or any agenda that we might have. If we're eager and we want to keep something happening or we're frustrated and we want to not have something happen or, or we're disliking stuff or we're comfort- we think we're compromising ourselves or there's something wrong with us, if we have a certain kind of feeling. Anybody ever notice that? in your meditation? Believe me, I can keep my hand up a long time here with that one. I remember, you know, first practicing and having feelings and thinking, oh, that, that's not a Buddhist feeling, you know. But it was a human being feeling and it was great to learn how to relax with it, open to it, let it be here, and then see, oh, it's just a feeling. It's not me. It's not doesn't define me. It's part of the um, atmosphere what arises in this galaxy we call Yuji, or whatever your name is. There's a certain galaxy here, and all kinds of, you know, excuse my language, shit happens. And that's not a bad thing. It's the way it is. And the more we can start to be awake, to what's happening in our seat, that becomes the doorway to freedom. In other words, really what I'm saying is, you are the doorway to freedom. What, what meditation begins to teach us is how to skillfully open to the phenomena that will reveal the depth of what's possible here. <clears throat> now, one of the things that I liked about the retreat I was on, which I've rarely heard, I've heard it personally in interviews with teachers, but not so much uh, from the podium during the retreat, was there was a tremendous encouragement to relax. And I, I love that encouragement. And I love it because I've also practiced in other traditions where that's been encouraged, and I heard that. And I know the value of it. It doesn't mean you force the relaxation. It means that there's something valuable in learning how to relax with the way things are. 
with reality as it is. And I and I found a quote here. Somebody gave me many years ago that I, I took me a while to understand, but I love. It's from Lin Yutong, um, Chinese. He said, if you can spend a perfectly useless afternoon, if you can spend a perfectly useless afternoon in a perfectly useless manner, you have learned how to live. If you can spend a perfectly useless afternoon in a perfectly useless manner, you have learned how to live. Now, that goes against the culture in America, as far as I can tell. Right? And I've said this before, but especially after my accident and being really uh, being put on a shelf for eight months um, in recovery, um, I didn't you know, I didn't realize that I had been a workaholic. And I wasn't a bad workaholic. I wasn't, you know, working at General Motors, you know, 90 hours a week or something, or making a zillion dollars or anything. But I was very dedicated to what I do, to teaching and practicing and all that. And But there was a little bit of the culture that we all live in, that we all share, is a little bit a workaholic culture. And it's a capitalist culture. Maybe it's all cultures these days, but not, I don't believe that's true exactly. But it definitely is one in the West and in America. And we're so used to it, we don't even think about it. So when I first heard this, when my friend first gave me this, you know, if you can spend a perfectly useless afternoon in a perfectly useless manner, I thought, oh, who would want, why would anybody want to do that? And now I'm like, oh, how can I arrange that a little more? <laughs> how can I find more time where I'm not doing anything? Because there's something here already to be discovered. And it's great to do stuff. Great to do work. And, I, you know, I, I love work. But, you know, I love to ride my bike and leave Dharma talks early is fine, you know, but but um, but really we're not used to not doing. There's an addiction to doing that we have. So one of the encouragements, it, it's helpful to learn how to begin to relax with our experience, whatever our experience is, and it's paradoxical. Because we're not used to relaxing with being angry. We're not used to relaxing with being sad. We're not used to relaxing with being happy, or having desire, or having fear, or having peace. We're not, you know, I told this story before. I have a friend, one of the spirit art teachers, she said when she was first practicing, she was on a long retreat, three-month retreat, and she kept going into the teacher's you know, a number of days in a row saying something's happening and I just don't know what it is. Something's happening. You know, and they're like, well, what is it? I don't know. I can't. And finally she came in after about a, a week or eight days or something and she said, I'm feeling peaceful. <laughs> and that it was so unfamiliar that it was disturbing to her sense of self. And it's true. It will... If you really experience peace, 
it's often disturbing. It, and it, or it's okay for a couple minutes. But experience it for a few days or a week where you're just at peace. And it's so unfamiliar, it challenges our identity. So the encouragement here is to relax. That when the mind is relaxed, it's aware and it connects with what it's aware of. And you could always start your sitting by just relaxing for a minute or two or a few minutes and see what happens. Why not? Why not relax while you're meditating? See what happens in the, if you relax with what's happening in the body. Or see what happens if you relax with what's happening in the mind. You don't have to change anything, right? Like I'm saying, you can be pissed off and relax with that. You can have a lot of energy and relax with that. Be open to it. Be accepting of it. So these are certain principles that I'm encouraging here as I'm talking. In order to learn how to practice with ease rather than effort. And so there can be a natural awareness that recognize that recognizes that everything is just happening. Give me a minute here. And that natural awareness develops a momentum or a natural momentum of simply being aware of what's here. And it, um, it brings other components which support practice, which is patience and perseverance. And those who need it. Somebody was what? Loud. Stand up. In an effortless, beautifully effortless way. Yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't mean you don't have effort, but it means you learn how to use relaxation as part of your effort, rather than because sometimes maybe you have to work harder or do something, or or you're sleepy so you stand up. But you don't have to get tense while you stand up. You don't have to be ashamed that you're standing up or that you're sleeping. Okay? And, and what I love about talking about this is I know how to make a lot of effort. And I know the value of a lot of effort. And I know the value of learning how to relax and make effort. Both all good. All good. Not in, in conflict. And so it's important to begin to recognize part of our experience of body, heart, mind. Is it relaxed? Or, and this is also invaluable, is it not relaxed? And if you're tense, or if you're tight, or if you're upset, or if you're contracted, include that in your meditation. Don't push it away. Don't start judging yourself about it. That's part of the practice. Being aware of what's happening and our reaction to what's happening. We want to know or see even when we're tense. And then see that, okay, let me relax with, with the tension. I'm not trying to get rid of the tension. I'm relaxing consciousness, as someone asked about it. Relaxing the mindfulness as it knows the tension. And, and just in general, that's a great daily practice. Like, see when you're relaxed, 
And when you're not relaxed, and be aware of what's happening, and you can learn from it. This is I found this story because I like relaxing. And this is uh, Suzuki Roshi, who was the founder of Zen Center, and, and just an amazing being. And it's, the story reads, a group of us had lunch with Suzuki Roshi in New York City. People were wondering how we should treat this religious man and how we should act. Very early on in the lunch, he put a napkin on his head and just sat there with it. <laughs> then we all put napkins on our heads. He made everyone feel very comfortable. <laughs> Now that's a beautiful understanding of the Dharma, right? It's not, oh, Suzuki, you're supposed to be, you know. Suzuki understood this is just about being real and awakening through the reality that is sitting here. So, a little bit I'm hoping to broaden our understanding of mind, fullness, body, fullness, heart, fullness. That we start to recognize the awareness that knows what's happening, the awareness knows what's present, that the mindfulness or the awareness in a mindful way is aware of what's happening as it's happening. And part of the arising of right understanding, a right view from the Eightfold Path, is that the mind knows and it, and it is aware of what it is knowing and it doesn't see things as a problem from the perspective of mindfulness or awareness. It doesn't matter what you're aware of. There's not a right thing, ultimately. Ultimately, we want to turn on the knob, wherever that knob is, right? Body, heart, and mind, that knows reality and start to let the awareness know exactly what's happening here and now, in this, in what's sitting in your seat, and let that openness of awareness begin to reveal the wisdom that the Buddha pointed at. So we don't just see things as a problem, we just see things as they are, as they're arising, sustaining for a while, and then passing and being known. And so the attention is both on the things, but on the mind that is knowing. That we start to know our minds from that perspective, from the perspective of what it knows. And that amazing function, I really, I don't, it's just amazing that we're awareness beings. And we're aware of everything I'm saying and everything you're thinking and everything you're feeling. Now, we're not always aware that we're aware of it. 
and mindfulness starts to make us aware of what we're aware of. And one of the pieces that I really enjoyed in the retreat from the, which was influenced by um, uh, a monastic teacher in Burma, uh, Utejaniya, is that there was this encouragement of investigating reality. And I love to investigate reality because that's all that's happening is we're investigating reality. That's all that's here is a, a form of reality that's taken the human shape and spills its tea on the floor sometimes. That happens. You know, just, it's amazing how beautiful or magical or mysterious the reality is. And we all taste it at times, but we don't know we can start to pay attention to what tastes it. Let me read another quote. I think I'm going to read another quote. This is from Utejaniya. He says, Wisdom never believes. Wisdom never believes. Wisdom always investigates. And so from the perspective of wisdom, we start to pay attention. We start to inquire into reality. What is reality? And then we get more interested in it. Not, not in the usual, just cognitive way, but we want to pay attention. Oh, what's happening? What are, what are we experiencing? And then a little bit more, uh, how is the mind? How is the heart when it's happening? Is it relaxed, open, easy, or is it chaotic? Is it fatigued? Is it contracted? Or is it opinionated? Or is it greedy? Like even now, you can just look at your mind. What's, what's happening? And then what, what's its slant? What's its attitude? And you don't have to get rid of this. But notice that you can be aware of it. And the awareness is not bound to what it knows. And so we can investigate reality. And then that becomes part of our meditation practice. Meaning we start to look and see, um, not just to think about things, but to cultivate a kind of contemplation that helps us practice. It helps us become awake to what's here. So, how do I how do I stay aware now? Or what's needed to be skillful now? Or how can I be more effective now? Or what blocks my awareness? Or what gets in the way? And can I be aware of that? Because then the awareness is continuing to function. Again, from Lutation, he says, as your practice develops, awareness becomes more continuous and wisdom starts to work. The mind will develop a sense of curiosity, a natural tendency to investigate. So as your practice develops, and one of the really beautiful things about this form of being mindful of the mind is you can take it with you everywhere. Because you'll see, 
you're going to leave this meditation tonight, you're still going to be aware wherever you are. That's going to be happening. You get in your car, you're, you're going to be aware if the light is red or green, right? And you want to be aware, and you can start to be aware that you're aware. And what he's saying is that as the awareness becomes more continuous and wisdom starts to work, the mind will develop a sense of curiosity or interest, what I call joyful interest, a natural tendency to investigate. And, and really the effort that somebody asked about is really beautiful. Here, everybody do this one thing. Just one little meditative thing. Um, everybody feel the sensations in your foot, in your right foot. Just feel that for a moment. Don't do anything special, but just feel it for a second. Anybody not able to feel that? Okay. Now feel the sensation in your right hand. Just whatever's there. It can be hot or cold or wavy or sweaty or can be nothing or can feel like some vibration. Whatever's there. Right. Anybody not able to do that? <clears throat> so what I'm pointing you at is the lightness of awareness. Right? That was known. I pointed you somewhere and you knew it. That's awareness, knowing that. Right? Here, here's a really easy one. Everybody feel your butt on the chair or cushion or bench. Right? Anybody not feel your butt? Feel how easy it is to feel your butt. <laughs> really, that's awareness is knowing what we're calling the sensations of the rear part of the torso or your butt. And what happens, what it's pointing at, is really awareness doesn't take a lot of effort. It takes a sustained effort. That's difficult. It's difficult to sustain our awareness of what we're aware of. And so, sustaining mindfulness takes a little more effort. And uh, I'll read you a quote somebody gave me that I like from uh, a hidden Buddhist named Alan Alda. I believe he's an actor, Alan Alda. He said the difference that he's talking about listening. And really, one way you can understand awareness is how we're listening to our bodies, to our hearts, to our mind, to, our, to the experience of being human. We're sensitive to it. He said, the difference between listening and pretending to listen, I discovered, is enormous. One is fluid, the other is rigid. One is alive, the other is stuffed. Eventually, I found a radical way of thinking about listening. Real listening, for me, real listening is a willingness to let the other person change me. When I'm willing to let them change me, 
something happens between us that's much more interesting than a pair of dueling monologues. Like so much of what I learned in the theater, this turned out to be how life works also. Right? So what we're talking about is awareness as a living phenomenon. And it means, yes, we're touched by everything, by reality. And the truth is, we are touched by reality all the time. It's happening in every moment. So, I'm going to stop there. And we'll continue this discussion. We'll keep looking at what is it to be alive and to practice and what does it mean to wake up in the way the Buddha pointed at and that he said was available to each of us. And notice, here's one of the things I like to say because it's definitely how my mind has worked and most minds I know is like Almost everybody I know thinks Buddha, very cool. Cool guy. Did a good thing. He woke up. Never happened for me. Anybody ever notice that thought? Right? Okay. You don't have to get rid of that. You can keep thinking it. But you don't necessarily have to believe it. You can start to be aware of that as a reaction to the Buddha and what the Buddha is teaching and the idea that human beings wake up. And let's see, maybe that assumption that we're making is not true, that we can't wake up. Let's sit for a minute before we end. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.